People want forever love so deeply, and the law and culture should affirm it instead of what it's doing now, which is undermining it. Welcome to the Edify podcast, where our guests share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest on today's episode of Edify is Helen Alvarez. Helen is a professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the podcast, Helen. It's great to have you with us again. Thank you so much. So you have a relatively new book out mm-hmm. about institutions and religious freedom. And you know what we're seeing is that governments are increasingly insisting that religious institutions hire and retain employees who are opposed to their core missions. And politicians repeatedly attempt to force Catholic hospitals and churches and schools to contradict their very religious beliefs they're founded on. Can you give us some background on this issue really quickly, just for somebody who might not be familiar with some of the First Amendment principles? Sure. The background is this. The government has a lot of authority over institutions, right? It funds them. It now runs more of the health insurance marketplace, and uh, it controls non-discrimination laws. Over time, they have been less and less willing to provide religious institutions the kind of religious freedom protection guaranteed under the First Amendment and a piece of federal legislation, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, The current administration is extremely (laughs) interested in, I, I think the word obsessed is more appropriate, with abortion, contraception, same-sex relations, gender ideology, and is using the authority that I just described, their funding, their control over the insurance marketplace, non-discrimination in employment laws, to force religious institutions, so many of which are Catholic, to obey their desires for more abortion, transgender surgery, uh, et cetera. Well, I mean, that's really shocking to hear that. How do they justify that kind of behavior towards a religious institution. Right. So several ways. First, of course, they hold that their beliefs on sex marriage parenting issues are the soul of human rights, right? Destroying human life before birth, uh, performing surgeries on a body to remove healthy organs or giving cross-sex hormones, same-sex relations instead of uh, mother-father marriages. They claim that these are the soul of human rights and they are, you know, on the side of of justice and and right. Second, they then, once they take that stance, characterize religious institutions as hateful, discriminatory, and if I may say, unchristian, right? They say, oh, Jesus would never approve of, of your teachings on sex, marriage, and parenting. And therefore, they pressure them in the name of civil rights, non-discrimination. Okay. So when we're talking about the overall principle of Catholic identity, so when a Catholic school or hospital or other social service agency said, you know, we hire according to our Catholic identity, what does that mean, generally speaking? Right. So usually in face-to-face interviews, in human resources, in employment contracts, in everything about the institution, its services, its policies, its, uh, you know, operations, its administration, it manifests a Catholic identity. Um, And at, at, at sort of a base level, you're not supposed to go work for an institution, including a Catholic institution, if you oppose what they stand for. 
But because there are so many Catholic institutions, they have so many employees, um, and some of them, let's face it, are not so interested in the church's teaching on sex, marriage, and parenting, or might even oppose it at this point, they have been bringing in employees who oppose church teaching on this. And um, the employees themselves are sometimes outsiders. If a controversy arises with an employee who dissents from the teaching, um, they will say, oh, why are you so concerned about the sex, marriage, parenting stuff? What does that have to do with providing education or healthcare or social services? Shut up and just sing, right? Do your business in right. those areas and stop bothering us about these aspects of our, quote, private lives. Well, do you think that's done intentionally then with, with this hiring for mission or not hiring for mission, Catholic mission? Do you think that Catholic institutions are intentionally hiring people who don't share the values? Or do you think it's it's an accident or it's an oversight? They don't ask the right kind of questions when they're going through the normal vetting of a new employee, for example. I think it's widely varied. I mean, some institutions are so huge and need so many specialty types of employees that they themselves might not even see how it matters mm -hmm. to have someone in communications, IT, uh, hospitality, uh, front desk, to be part of the mission. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's partly lack of attention to the subject. I do think there are some that don't care. Um, and I think others are just content with an employee saying something like, oh, I think Catholic social teaching is nice. It's very nice. You know, Jesus loves everybody and I'm, I'm with you. Um, and I don't think many of them have realized until the government got so obsessive on these sex, marriage, and parenting issues that this would matter as much as it is currently mattering. Mm. Well, one example that you use in your Edify video, I think a lot of um, people listening to this will uh, relate to because it has to do with Catholic schools. And listeners, just as an aside, we'll have a link in the show notes below to Helen's excellent Edify video that you don't want to miss. But you talk about Catholic school teachers who openly object to Catholic teaching. And so that leads to sort of a bigger question about the Obergefell decision. How has that impacted, for example, Catholic schools, but also the rest of society since that decision came down? Right, that's a big question. So two things. One thing is, let me start at a basic point. Catholic institutions really don't discriminate against people um, for, not based on services, operations, or even employment. If the person says, I have same-sex attraction, the church draws a line between, I mean, we're all, we all have temptations right. of various kinds. That is one among many. Um, what the church cannot employ over the long run is someone who acts in public violation of the teaching. So again, I, I doubt there's an employee at a Catholic institution who is not a sinner somehow. In fact, I'm willing to, to bet on that. Mm -hmm. The question is when you go public and you say, the thing that I am doing that directly opposes Catholic teaching is good and right, and you are wrong, and I disagree with your teaching, but I also demand to keep working for you as a representative of this Catholic institution. The Obergefell opinion in which the Supreme Court invented a right to same-sex marriage out of whole cloth by finding it in the word liberty in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. The amount of money and time and, and litigation strategy that had been put into uh, that day, achieving that victory, the amount of money that has been poured into politics 
and particular candidates. The amount of money that's been poured into corporations and media and the academy means that to oppose the Obergefell opinion, to say, um, obviously I'm not discriminating against persons with same-sex attraction, but I cannot cooperate with or facilitate or employ a public dissenter on same-sex marriage, um, it is absolutely a pressure cooker for those who oppose the finding in Obergefell, or even in a Catholic institution, refuse to cooperate with the government's mandates. It is a real flashpoint, and it is equaled really only by the flashpoint that now is the transgender movement. Mm -hmm. um, people are canceled, ostracized, threatened with violent harm. It's fascinating how it has become, you know, cultural dogma mm -hmm. at this moment. Mm -hmm. It's a big club to hit people with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember when the same-sex marriage debates were first starting, so back 20 years ago, and you would have same-sex couples saying, all we want to do is to be left alone, to live our lives, and this won't affect anybody else but us. Right. And boy, how things have changed. Yeah, if I could, there's a related point I always like to bring up. In the run-up to the Supreme Court's Obergefell opinion, um, the, the same-sex litigant couple said, listen, marriage is unrelated to children. It's simply about what two adults want and whether the state will give us a license to do something that we really feel will make us feel equal, and sort of marriage as civil rights remedy, right? right. And they said marriage and children are completely unrelated. And then like right after that, they started a lawsuit demanding that same-sex couples be have the both parents' names on the birth certificate mm -hmm. because they said marriage is obviously related to children, and and we obviously have the right to um, to have them made at a new reproductive technologies clinic to have our names on the birth certificate. So, um, you know, people will say anything in litigation that they can get away with, right. and that was certainly true of the Obergefell and and follow-up litigation. And Obergefell obviously didn't happen in a vacuum. How did that case make its way to the Supreme Court and how did it get there so quickly? Right. Obergefell was the last in a long line of Supreme Court opinions divorcing sex from marriage from parenting. Okay. First are the 1960s opinions saying uh, not only is there a constitutional right of contraception, but the way the Supreme Court put it was marriage is not a unity. It's two individual people making independent decisions about whether or not to have a child. So it separates the husband and wife very much and begins to separate marriage from children. Then, of course, you get the abortion opinion, which says the woman is alone in her thinking about whether or not she can destroy her son or daughter. It, the man is unrelated and must stay out. You also had around the same time, no fault divorce that said, you know, whatever promise you made, uh, you're free to say it's over and the state will cooperate with that, no problem at all. Then you get the Lawrence opinion, which in 2003 was the Supreme Court saying, you know what? Um, uh, Same-sex relations are just like rights to marriage, rights to have children. When two people want to have a sexual relationship with one another, it has it needs to have no relationship to children and no relationship to marriage. So what I'm saying is, first as between heterosexuals and then applied to homosexual couples, the Supreme Court and culture in an interrelated way were saying that children had nothing to do with sex, children and sex had nothing to do with marriage. <laughs> Voila, Obergefell says, you're right, children and sex have nothing to do with a marriage between a man and a woman. Hence, 
same-sex relations are equal and in fact exactly the same as opposite-sex relations in which children not only could be born, but could know their parents. And now we've seen in New York the first case of a thruple on a child's birth certificate. Oh, yeah. And there's jurisdictions, um, you know, local ones in Massachusetts that now formally recognize threesomes um, at, the, at the level of the state. Which we were promised back when this all started would never happen. There would be no slippery slope. There was a fascinating exchange at the Obergefell oral argument in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, why won't, you know, why two? Why isn't this going to lead to three? And the attorney on behalf of same-sex marriage said, well, that's, that's against the law. And, and the justices said, well, yeah, but so is this now, too. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you used to, so back in your previous life, you were the pro-life spokesperson for the U.S. Catholic bishops. And I, I know that a lot of people say that the bishops shouldn't be speaking out on current issues at all. They should be focusing on, you know, spiritual growth and helping people to understand and love God better. Um, and some say they should be speaking up more. So right. they don't say enough. What's your take on all of that? So... I think that the public would generally agree that issues of huge importance that cross over morality, human rights, and also religion. There's a lot of issues like that, that if you are a citizen of the United States who feels that you have something valuable to offer and you do it in an intelligent and respectful way, the fact that it crosses over both, you know, medicine and reason and human rights and politics and religion should not stop anyone. The Constitution does not say religious people don't get to petition the government, but everyone else has a constitutional right, right to do so. Right. So I think you want people whose basic human rights perspective is God made each and every one of us in his image with a dignity that cannot be taken away. No person is is better than anyone else. No one is worse. We are all valuable, gifted children of God. Aren't these exactly the people you want in the public square who do not have a foot in a particular industry or political party or ideological viewpoint, but rather are just there with no vested interests and no money at stake to be pro-human rights? So I just think whether it's the Catholic bishops whether it is leaders from other faith traditions with a strong human rights record, go for it. Bring us your wisdom, along with people who have that wisdom from a non-religious perspective. It's not going to contradict. Faith and reason on human rights work together beautifully. In that vein, the U.S. bishops recently released a document that condemned uh, these, these transgender medical procedures. Um, and unfortunately, quite quickly, uh, some prominent liberal Catholics, like Father James Martin, um, the National Catholic Reporter, immediately took issue with how the document forbids individuals and also Catholic providers from either undergoing or performing these gender-affirming medical treatments. Right. Um, what's your reaction to this? And why do you think there was such a vociferous and swift uh, response from from the people who disagree, who are Catholic, but disagree with the church on this very fundamental issue? Well, I mean, I can't read their consciences, but I suspect that their loyalties to a particular ideology or politics seem to be stronger than their loyalties to a faith perspective on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a general that that matters more. They really don't want to enter into a faith perspective on this. And so they just share the obsession of the current administration and, and current politics. Um, one thing that's so fascinating, this document comes out precisely at a time 
one country after another after another, and countries that we often look to, right, as sort of, you know, um, sort of progressive um, examples for the right. U.S. France, England, Nordic countries are saying, whoa, wait, transgender medicine, not really confident. We are seeing young people harmed. There's a complete lack of informed consent. I mean, how does a 13-year-old really informally, informally consent to the proposition, I'm okay with no fertility, impotence, no sexual pleasure in the rest of my life, and a lifelong medicalization of my body? All this is cool. And I'm 13, and I can tell you that right. for sure. Um, and then we see with even adults who are undergoing this, it is not solving the underlying problems that lead persons to seek refuge in this attempt attempts at surgery to fix what is what they believe to be ailing them. Right. Well, before we move on to the next segment, I'd like to ask you listeners to please subscribe to the Edify podcast wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play. Subscribing does help boost us in the algorithms and it'll get us in front of more people to help edify them and give them a better appreciation of the church's teachings. So Helen, what this is a very big question, but what can the average Catholic listening to this podcast do to help protect some of our institutions? Right. So lots of us are parts of Catholic institutions, whether it's a parish, a diocese, a Catholic school, a Catholic hospital, Catholic social services, et cetera. Anyone with whom they have a connection um, they need to um, work with them to integrate the mission throughout the whole place in a positive manner. I am not simply trying to plug my darn book. I don't care if you Xerox a friend's copy, okay? <laughs> but I am going to say that I worked on that book for years in order to give voice to a really positive, beautiful faith and reason understanding of our teaching on these tough matters. Right. Same-sex relations, transgender, cohabitation, abortion, contraception. And to help people express them to other people so they don't shut down right. and stop conversation. And to assist your Catholic institution to have access to these pieces of information, to the faith and reason arguments, to the deep, 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 beginning in the first century, Catholic wisdom on this, that for 2,000 years we've been consolidating and improving. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I would hope that they would give the information in my book to their local institutional leaders, read it themselves, transmit it to their children, um, to their friends, as a way of not only understanding the religious freedom threat we're under, but how, when responding to that, whether it's in a court of law or, or the court of public opinion, to give a positive account of our beautiful witness on, on sex, marriage, and parenting. Well, it's a wonderful how-to manual that I know everyone from the bishops down to their average you know, parent, uh, set of parents in a Catholic school are going to be grateful for because you lay it out in your usual, just very well-reasoned way. Um, but just as we're wrapping up here, I'd like to do just a very little quick rapid fire uh, question and answer, sure. uh, a little Q&A section. I'm going to give you a couple of big topics uh, that you have covered in your <laughs> okay. career, and I'd like to give you to give me your hot take. So okay. uh, 15 seconds. Uh, cohabitation. It's the biggest sales pitch to young people that it's going to make their marriage more sound, and it's one of the biggest causes of uh, marriages that fall apart. Separation of church and state. A phrase that never appeared in the Constitution, <laughs> but is a shorthand reference that the court makes. Instead, the government cannot burden our free exercise or establish one of our religions over another. That's the law. No-fault divorce. 
whether it unleashed a pent-up demand for divorce or whether it caused more, it really has made marriage something people take less seriously. And the Catholic Church's premarital teaching and postmarital mentorship should help people stay away from it. Love is love. Oh, it appeals to everything in us that is compassionate and loves people, whether they're opposite or same-sex attracted. But again, it is a euphemism for tearing apart sex, marriage, and parenting that does end up hurting children in the United States. Society's issues with commitment. Thank God Pope Francis has raised this as one of our biggest current problems. People want forever love so deeply, and the law and culture should affirm it instead of what it's doing now, which is undermining it. Religious freedom. One of the biggest issues of our time, people need to become educated about it. It's not just a cry of the right or one religion. It's a fundamental uh, threat to all religions that actually is also going to threaten American democracy. And finally, the sexual revolution. Biggest load of you fill in the blank that was ever sold to women and is really going to harm them in the long run. Well, Professor Helen Alvarez, thank you again for being with us here on the Edify podcast. And listeners, please do look down in the show notes for a link to Professor Alvarez's excellent video on religious freedom and how it impacts our Catholic institutions. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.